Psalm 115. This is God's word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths that do not speak, eyes that do not hear. They have ears but eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Man, this ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together one more time. Father, as we come before your Lord, I would come before you, Lord, and before your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would change our hearts with it, Lord, that we would be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us with your help and your protection that this psalm so radically promises to us. We ask that you would convict us, Lord, that we would turn away from idols to serve you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as we start looking at this beautiful psalm this morning, challenging psalm, I wanted to tell you the story about the time a Greek philosopher named Diogenes met Alexander the Great. I'd never heard this story before. As you probably know, Alexander the Great is regarded as one of the greatest military minds in history, one of the most powerful world rulers in all of world history. And Diogenes, I, I, I didn't know much about him, maybe you don't either. He was a philosopher. He was a cynic sort of a troublemaker, really, who had taken a vow of poverty. And, you know, we think of vow of poverty, and we might think of this noble monk living in a quiet monastery, but that wasn't Diogenes. He, he really lived to cause problems and to stir up trouble, to buck authority, to go against the conventions of common decency. He lived in a barrel in the marketplace just because he could. So that kind of gives you a, a picture of Diogenes. Well, the story goes that a number of statesmen and philosophers were going to meet Alexander the Great, but not Diogenes, of course. Always wanted to cause problems. So Alexander was kind of confused that Diogenes didn't come to greet him, so he went to find him. And the Greek biographer Plutarch tells us what happened next. He says, Alexander went in person to see him, and he found him lying in the sun. Diogenes raised himself up a little when he saw so many people coming towards him. And he fixed his eyes upon Alexander. And when that monarch addressed him with greetings and asked him if he wanted anything, Diogenes said, yes, stand a little out of my son. Stand a little out of my son. That's what Diogenes said to Alexander the Great. Why, why do I tell this story? What in the world does that have to do with Psalm 115? 
Well, what Diogenes said to Alexander is exactly what we say to God when we bow to idols rather than serve him, trust him, and fear him. When we worship idols rather than the great God over all the earth that our psalm so majestically describes, that's exactly what we're doing. We all do it. Chances are many of us have brought our guilty consciences even to worship this morning. We do it when when we puff our pride in the workplace. We do it when we lash out at our spouse or our children. We do it when we waste our time and our money that God has gifted us with. We're in essence saying, I don't care what you have to say, Lord. There is something else that I would rather enjoy than your presence, Lord. There is something else that is more important to me, something that I need more than you. Stand a little out of my son. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you put on your Sunday smile like we all do. We're all guilty of that sometimes. But deep down, you're beside yourself really because something that you've set your hopes on has crashed and burned where it's sucking fumes and it's just about to stop dead in the road and you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you're crushed because your children have done a 180 from everything that you have taught them and the way that you've raised them. Maybe you've been losing sleep and you're distraught over the direction of our country, whether that's over the last eight years or the last 48 hours. Maybe you feel forgotten and slighted and uh, unimportant despite all of the hard work that you've put in at your job. You know, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, not necessarily. But it can go further than that, can it? Deep down, even though we might not say it, we can be angry at God because of these things. Maybe you would never say it, but you're mad at God and you say, I, I need that thing. I can't live without that thing. I will die if I don't get that thing. That's idolatry. We've all been there. I I know I've been there. So that's why we need to hear this message from Psalm 115. What Psalm 115 has to teach us. If we're ever going to live lives that glorify God, we need to understand idolatry, the dangers of it. And we need to understand the grace that God gives. That's why we all need to hear what Psalm 115 has to tell us. It really presents us with two ways to live. We can say, stand a little out of my son. That's one way to live. Or, There's a better way to live, a blessed way to live. It's how our psalm opens. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. That's what Psalm 115 teaches us. It teaches us that because idols destroy, but God delivers, we must live for the glory of God. And really, we can break that down into three life-changing truths about worship that we find in this psalm. We're going to walk through them one by one. First, idols destroy. Secondly, God delivers. And finally, we must live to glorify God alone. You know, if we look at Psalm 115 and we were to set up a table of contents for the psalm, we could say that the first and the last verse or two really frame the whole psalm and provide the response to everything else we see in it. That's how the psalms work often. We see, praise the Lord. Here's why. So, praise the Lord. So, if we were going to sing this psalm this morning in worship, we would start at the beginning and walk straight through the end, singing it as it is. But I think it's important as we learn to live a life that's in response to the truths that these that the psalm has to teach us, we're going to work from the inside out. We'll work with 
First, the bad news about idols. Secondly, we'll look at the good news that we have about God. And finally, we'll come back to those first and last verses as the response that we should give to the message of this psalm. So let's look first at the first life-changing truth about worship from Psalm 115. And it's this, idols destroy. Idols destroy. So what does the psalm have to teach us about idolatry? Look at verse 2 with me. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We don't know much about the background of this psalm. Sometimes the headings to the psalms or things embedded within them give us a little bit of insight into what's going on. We don't really have that with Psalm 115, so we have to read between the lines a little bit. But it seems like God's people are in a really tough spot. You know, it doesn't seem like the nations are asking, excuse me, uh, I've seen God has been blessing you and protecting you and giving you abundant safety and provision and comfort. So where is this God that you say you serve? Now, that's not really the tone of this question. It's, It's dripping with sarcasm. Where is your God? Seems that it's a valid question, in fact, for the nations that surround Israel who claim that God is their deliverer, that claim that God is there to bless them, and the nations take the opportunity. So, where is your God? And if that's the case, then this psalm really puts the right words on the lips of God's people. It puts beautiful words, bold with confidence. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's the right answer to that question, isn't it? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. If it seems like, if, it's, if it is as it seems that God's people are going through this really tough time, this difficult time, then it's, it's really amazing that they could sing this psalm, isn't it? It's amazing that they can show this utmost confidence in God. Because in times like that, that's when it's tempting to ask ourselves, you know, maybe they're right. Where is our God? At times like that, we're tempted to look to someone else, to something else other than God to put our hope in. The temptation is to turn to idols. Maybe the rest of the world has it right, we think. Has that ever been a temptation for you? Maybe not in so many words, perhaps. Maybe you haven't even realized the times when you've turned to other things and put your hope and trust in things other than God. Idolatry is really subtle like that. So this psalm is amazing because it shakes us up to the truth about idolatry. And it warns us that idols can do nothing for us. Ultimately, they can only destroy us. Look with me at verses 4 to 8. Here, speaking about the false gods of the nations, the psalmist writes, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And I'm really thankful for this psalm. Because it doesn't just speak to people who don't believe in God and who worship something else. That's what's tempting, right? It's tempting to read this and say, yeah, look at that description. That's right. Look at your small little gods. But no, it's a sobering reminder to God's people, to you and me, about the way idolatry creeps up in our lives, about the way that idolatry sabotages our pursuit of the one true and living God. And this is really important. We're in the middle of this series on the doctrine of sanctification. One way to put this is that we're studying how we, as people who have been redeemed by God's grace, 
can, through that grace, live more and more to the glory of God. And if we're going to do that, we have to do more than just examine the ways we disobey. That's usually where we start first when we want to pursue sanctification. What are the ways that I'm disobeying? What's the list? What can I check off? But we have to go deeper than that. We need to see what the root of our disobedience is. You know, I'm not a gardener, um, but growing up in Mexico, we had <clears throat> several fruit trees in our yard. And we had one orange tree that just always gave bad fruit. I think it was a vine or something that had grown up in the tree, and it was, in a way, sabotaging those trees, producing good fruit. Now, I'm not a gardener, but one thing that never occurred to me was to solve the problem with a ladder, a stapler, and a bucket of better fruit. You know, climb up the ladder, pull off the old fruit, staple on the new fruit, good to go, right? No, I see a lot of people laughing because we know it doesn't work like that. You can't fix the problem that way. And it doesn't work like that in sanctification either. If we're going to pursue God and glorify Him, root out the old, and live in the way that pleases Him, we have to get to the root of the problem. We have to see what it is that causes us to disobey God over and over and over again. At the heart of our sin really is a wrong-placed adoration. It's misdirected worship. At the heart of our sin is, is idolatry. There's this old sermon by a Puritan named David Clarkson. And the sermon is called Soul Idolatry. I found it really helpful. He works through the issue of idolatry. And in the course of this, he, he recognizes that this isn't just a problem for people who don't know God. This is a constant temptation even for the people of God. Of course, you can't be a habitual idolater, worship something thoroughly and completely and always other than God, and enter God's kingdom. It doesn't work like that. But he's very clear about the fact that the seed of idolatry remains in every one of us. What he says in essence is this, the most sanctified people on earth, even in them there is still a seedbed of sin. Atheism, blasphemy, murder, adultery, and apostasy, all the roots and seeds are still there in them. And he gives a really helpful list of 13 characteristics of an idol. 13 things that we can look to to see where it is that our soul is falling prey to idolatry. You know, 13 points, that's a lot of points. Not uncommon in a Puritan sermon. So let me give you the cliff notes. Here are the 13 things he lists. He says, esteem, mindfulness, intention, resolution, love, trust, fear, hope, desire, delight, zeal, gratitude, <clears throat> care, and industry or work. When anything or anyone other than God receives more of any one of those things, that's when you have an idol on your hands. Add the word most to any one of those things. Love, hope, trust, fear. And that's a really good indication of idolatry. It's something that we're placing our hopes in more, more in something other than God. Take for example, <clears throat> I desire money most. What I love most is to make money. Or I am most mindful about policies coming out of Washington. Or I am most concerned and most fearful about what people think about me. See, none of those things are, are wrong in and of themselves, are they? But that qualifier most often draws the line in the sand between a God-honoring pursuit and a God-replacing idol. It's not wrong to want a political cause to succeed. It's not wrong to make money. I hope not. 
is not wrong to desire a good reputation. But it's, it's been said, and I think rightly so, that whenever a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when you have an idol. Whenever that thing becomes most, that's when you see idolatry. Think about this. What is the first commandment? We're kind of sandwiching this sermon in between our exposition of the Ten Commandments. But what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. And that's, that's so, it's so important that that is at the head of all of the rest of the commandments. It's like Martin Luther said. He said, observe this commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do that and all the rest of the commandments will follow. Obedience to all the rest will follow. And I think we can add to that, and I'm sure Luther would agree. Break the first commandment and place something else other than God in that place. And our obedience to all the rest of the commandments will fall like dominoes. It's so important that, that, that we keep that central in our pursuit of sanctification. You shall have no other gods before me. All the rest of our obedience follows after that one principal commandment. The root of idolatry bears the fruit of lawlessness, we could say. And 1 John 5 or 3 verse 4 says sin is lawlessness. Idolatry itself is sin and it bears the fruit of sin. And because of that, idolatry is not safe. A lot of times we think that we can harbor these little um, semi-God-like things in our lives, things that we maybe almost enjoy more than God or things that maybe every once in a while we focus on more than God and we can hide them in some safe corner. But our psalm doesn't allow us to think that way. The nations, they're mocking God because they think they can do this. They think that their idols can actually save them and offer something to them. But they actually can't do anything. They can't save them. In fact, they will only destroy them, the psalm says. Here's what this description of the idols really means in verses 4 through 8. They can't see you when you cry out for them to save you. They have no ears to hear your prayers. They have no voice to speak words of life to you. They have no feet to run to your aid. They have no noses. I kind of wonder, what's, what's with the nose thing? You know, what's, I never thought of my idol being able to smell. But in this culture of burnt offerings and sacrifices, what that means is they can't receive your worship. You're worshiping away at these idols and they have no way of even knowing they can't receive your worship. It's pointless. At the end of the day, we need to hear this. Whether you vow to an idol of consumerism, an idol of politics, an idol of relationships, an idol of wealth and money and fame, and any other thing, it cannot save you. It cannot deliver you. Deliver you. In fact, it will only destroy you. The picture here is that for all practical purposes, these idols are dead. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't touch, they can't run, they can't speak. They're dead. The picture is death. And then verse 12 gives a very powerful warning. Look at verse 12. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So do all who trust in them. One writer really put it best when he said this. He said, whatever you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or restoration. I like that because it's alliterated. It's easy to remember. Whatever you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or restoration. We turn to idols because we think they can give us only what God can give us. But they can't restore us, can they? They can only ruin us. 
So we see that idols destroy, but there's another life-changing truth about worship we find in Psalm 115. Idols destroy, but God delivers. God delivers. That's a great summary of the good news of the gospel, isn't it? God delivers. This is a song given to God's people, delivered out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this is a song that's given to us, God's people, who have been redeemed out of bondage to sin and death. God delivers. God delivers his people from sin's guilt and its power, like the hymn says. No condemnation and no bondage to sin. And here the psalm turns from this truth that idols destroy to the great deliverance we have in God. Listen again to verses 9 through 15. And, and as you listen, notice the rhythm in the psalm. It's really, really beautiful. There's built into this psalm, there's a call and response. The leader would say one part and then the people would call out the response. And there's this back and forth that's built into the psalm. It's, it's really wonderful. Verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's beautiful, isn't it? As someone who leads congregational singing week to week, I'm just struck with how well this psalm illustrates the purpose of singing and praising God in worship. Paul tells the church in Colossae, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we, we, we're called to sing with, with thankful hearts to God, and that's usually the first thing we think about when we join our voices in praise, that we're singing to God, but there's another call that we have when we sing together. We're called to sing to one another, not worshiping one another, but reminding one another with the truths for which we are thankful to God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this psalm does that for God's people. It sets the truths of God's deliverance to music. So that when they're in the pits and when life is as dark as it has ever been, they can sing together and not only praise God for who he is, but remind one another of the truth that God is the only one who can deliver. We've done something like that. Think of how we've done that just this morning, just singing the doxology. We've sung praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we're singing to God and praising him. But at the same time, we're reminding one another, hey, listen up, no matter what has happened this week, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the flip side of that really is this, as it's been said, down with the idols from whom no blessings flow. See, that's part of the purpose of us singing together. So I hope that as we see this working itself out, just in the structure and beauty of this psalm, that it encourages you when you come week after week to sing together. You don't come just to sing another five or six verses that you're not sure you want to sing a seventh. That you, you would sing to one another and encourage one another with the truth of God's word. Whether it be a brief doxology or a rich setting of a psalm as we sung this morning. It's one of the purposes of praise. Well, did you notice as we read that who this news of God's deliverance is for? Who is it for? All of God's people, verse 9. The religious leaders of God's people, verse 10. And then those who fear the Lord, those who are not Israel by blood only, 
but who have believed in God, who have bowed the knee to the God who delivers. Verse 11. The psalmist saying, church, listen up. Pastors, listen up. Everyone who believes in the Lord, listen up. God delivers. Idols will destroy, but God delivers. He is your help and your shield. He has remembered and he will bless you. Small and great, insignificant and powerful, weak or strong, poor or rich, little kin in the congregation or elderly saint. Listen, idols destroy you, but God delivers. That's what this psalm sets to music for God's people. This has real-world ramifications. What we're seeing on Sunday mornings, even this psalm that we're looking at today, it, it, it isn't just a flowery lyric that we consider in a sermon or put to music and sing and praise on Sunday morning. These, have, these doxologies that we sing and we study, they have to carry over into the day-to-day because this is the promise of God when we're in the trenches fighting against idols and sin and temptation. He is the one who delivers. He is the one who saves. He is our help and our shield. When we see our life savings swirling down the drain because of that last diagnosis, He is our help. He is our shield when our marriage is in shambles and seems like it might end and we don't know if we can go on if it does. He is our help and our shield when the company is restructuring and we find out that our position has been terminated. God is our help and our shield. God is the one who delivers. When all of these things happen and the world asks, oh, so where is this God that you say is so great? Those who trust that God is their help and their shield don't turn to idols. They don't turn to something else that can deliver them. But they turn to God, the only one who can save. So, God is the help and the shield, the protector of those who fear him. But it also says that God has richly blessed them and that he will bless the people of God. The psalm just overflows with the promise of blessing. Over and over, the people are blessed and they are blessing the Lord for his richness towards them. So how does God bless us when we walk in his ways? How does he do it? Well, we think first of the original context of this psalm. And there were many blessings promised to God's old covenant people Israel, specifically in that period of time. The blessing of remaining in the promised land. Leviticus 25:18. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. And just after that, in verse 19, we have the blessing of physical protection and physical provision. It says the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. But of course, the greatest blessing of all was that they are worshiping the God who delivers. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus 20, verse 2. And today, God's new covenant people are no longer in this geopolitical situation, this land in the Middle East. We're now not a people you can point to on the globe. We span the globe far off places like Ramona, California, have people that have been brought into this people of God. God has delivered not just this physical nation at that time, but the sides have been blown out, and now this global kingdom of God is the situation we live in now. So we ask the question, does God bless us at this time? Of course he does. He does. Some of the blessings are different. Some of the promises are different. But he still is rich to bless his people. Jesus told us not to expect necessarily physical prosperity and physical protection. What did he tell us to expect? 
told us to expect persecution. But we are still blessed today when we obey the Lord. The gospel then is the same gospel now. The code of conduct given to the people of Israel in that day is the same code of conduct now to God's true Israel, the Israel that is not just of blood, but those who have been bought by the blood of Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he still is rich to bless his people. James tells us this in James chapter 1, verse 25. He says, The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, sometimes we can get a little nervous about that, not just as Reformed Christians, but as Protestants who for 500 years have been protesting really the corruption of the gospel. This idea that in some way, by our good works and obedience, we cooperate with grace to receive salvation. But that doesn't have to make us nervous because we can categorically say that God does not, never has and never will bless our good works with salvation from condemnation and sin. No, not at all. Fearing the Lord and the good works that come out of that fear, that blossom out of that fear of the Lord, that's the fruit of our salvation, the fruit of what we have received already, for sure, done deal in Jesus Christ. And as we approach God's law to obey it, freed from condemnation by our Savior and freed to obey because of what our Savior has done for us, we're richly rewarded when we obey him. So how do we even do this? How do we get the grace to do this? How do, we, how do we have the grace and the strength to pursue obedience? You see, I get it. Idols destroy, and I don't want to turn to idols. I recognize that God is our help and our shield, that God is the one who deserves all glory. But how do I do that? It seems like time and time again, I don't do that. So how do I do it? Well, here's how we do it. Here's where this grace comes from. God saw us when we were desperate when we were blinded by the idols that we blindly followed until those blinders were removed by the good news in Jesus and God sent a deliverer. When we had no voice in our throats, just like the idols that we worshipped, to cry out to God for help, God sent a deliverer. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he faithfully followed God's law to the letter. If Satan hurled every temptation to idolatry he could think of at him, he said, you look pretty hungry. It looks like your God isn't providing for you. Why don't you just, you know, work a little something in? Is God, where is your God while you're starving in the desert? Or God has promised <clears throat> that all of these things are going to take place in your life. But can you really be sure of that? Are you really sure that's going to happen? Why don't you just, why don't you just test him? Why don't you just see? Or, you know, why don't you go? It seems like a, a really big deal to go through all of these things. Let's just cut to the chase. You bow down to me. And I will give you fame and glory right here and now. I will place you over all the nations. Just bow down to me. And what did Jesus do? He refused to give in to the temptation and to follow other idols, other gods, to fear something other than his father. He followed the law and was obedient down to the letter. Never bow the knee to an idol. Never at all. And then the faithful son of God suffered the condemnation and judgment that we deserved for every time we have turned to idols. He suffered what idolaters deserve to suffer. The Lord is the help and the shield of all those who fear him. That's what our psalm says, right? But the only one who perfectly feared the Lord was nailed to the cross 
in the place of the idolaters. And he cried out on the cross, where is my God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he rose from the dead, th- rose from the dead three days later. And he crushed the power of these idols. He crushed the power of sin and death, which is the only thing that idols have over us to cause us to bow to them. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved from idols that destroy by the God who delivers. So how do we respond to all of this? That's the grace that we've received in Christ. That's the deliverance that we have received from these idols that destroy. So how are we to respond? What do we do? Well, that's the difference it should make in our lives, really. And that's the third life-changing truth about worship we see in Psalm 115. It's the, last, it's the last point, and it's really a call to response. So we'll close our time thinking about it. Third life-changing truth about worship, and it's this. We must glorify God alone. We're going back here to the bookends of the psalm. And as I said earlier, we started with the bad news that idols destroy. And then we've seen the good news that God is the one who delivers us by meeting out that destruction on his son in our place. And all of that needs to lead us to a life that glorifies God. Because idols destroy, but God delivers, we must glorify God alone. And that's how the psalm began, if you remember. Look at the the first verse. Psalm 115, verse 1. The ESV reads, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. There's a, there's a little difference of translation I want to point out here. It's not, it's not a, huge, a huge significant deal, but it's, it's important. There's, in the ESV where it reads, For the sake of, uh, different translations, depending on what you're reading, will take that differently. There's a Hebrew preposition that Some of the translators are divided on how to take it. For the sake of is a good translation. And if that's how we're to take this, like the ESV reads, then it's saying something like this. This is a call for God to preserve his good name in light of the taunting words of the nations. In other words, all glory to you, God, so that your name is not trampled down and discredited. It's a good translation. It works. But I'm a little more inclined to follow the New American Standard Version, the New International Version, and a couple of others where they read, instead of for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, they say because of. That's another way you can take this word. In other words, that would read, we give you glory. All glory be to you, God, because we have seen your steadfast love and faithfulness. And we have seen God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And our loving, faithful God has given us a purpose as we live our lives here on earth. Look at verses 16 through 18. This is the purpose that we've been given. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So what is our purpose? What is our duty on this earth? Well, our our primary purpose as we live our lives out here on earth, as our catechism so well puts, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our primary purpose on this earth. That's why we've been given this earth. We've been given this space in which to live out to the glory of God. Everything we do, every, every pursuit, every aim, everything we set our hands to do is for the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. George Horn, he was an Anglican bishop from another century who wrote this beautiful commentary on Psalms. And I want to read you what he said about this verse. I've updated the language just a little bit, but here's what he says. 
He says, He who himself dwells in the highest heavens, where he is praised and glorified by angels, has given the earth as a present home for humankind, whose duty is to praise and glorify him here below as the angels do in heaven. That's our purpose. That's what we have been called to do. You've heard the old slogan, the old pirate slogan, really. Dead men tell no tales, right? Well, this song says, dead men sing no praise. That's the point here when he says the dead do not do this. He says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord. The point here isn't really judgment. That's not really the picture the psalmist is painting. He's talking about the time in which to praise the Lord is now, while we're still standing on our two feet and breathing and living this life to the glory of God. That's when the time is to praise the Lord. The time to live to God's glory is now. The time to worship God is now. The time to turn from idols is now. Worship the God who delivers now. That's the point. Now and forever. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you right now this morning as you've listened to the truths of this psalm. Can you sing this song? Can you sing this song? We have to ask ourselves that question, right? Can I truthfully, right now, looking at my life, looking at the way that I have been living out, my life given to me for the glory of God this week, can I truthfully sing this song? You can't praise the Lord and serve the idols. Jesus said it very clearly. He said you can't serve God and money. Well, you can say the same way. You can't serve God and fill in the blank. You can fill anything in that blank. You cannot serve God and. That's what our Lord told us. So can we sing this song? Not to us, but to your name be glory. Have you felt the disappointment and the letdown of these puny little idols that distract us from worshiping the God who made heaven and earth? Have you seen firsthand the destruction that pursuing something other than God can can bring into your life I I hope you haven't recently I know that many of us have many of us have testimonies of that but if you haven't seen that and if if you still think that you can hold on to this idol and serve the one true and living God be ready for disappointment because the idols can only destroy God is the only one who can deliver and you can rest assured that that will play itself out Idols destroying God delivers. What he calls you and me to do is to live a life of faith. Faith that our sins are forgiven. Faith that not even your own sin can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Faith that God promises to bless those who don't seek their own pleasure and these other lesser saviors, false saviors that don't satisfy, but seek to please him. God promises to bless. He says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we seek him through his son. We seek him through the one who delivered us from the power of idols. We seek him through the one who delivered us from their destruction. Remember the words of the apostle John as he closed his first letter to the church. Of all the things he could tell them, Final words. Last words he pens. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And he's not speaking to the outside world of unbelievers. He's speaking to the church. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We keep ourselves from idols by singing the truths of this psalm. 
by living them out confident in the steadfast love and faithfulness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this song that moves us from who you are, the one who deserves all glory, honor, and praise to the ever-present sin of idolatry, to the blessings that come to us in Christ because he has taken on the guilt of our disobedience and misdirected worship. He's taken that all on himself. Thank you that because he lives, we live and have the power of the Holy Spirit making us more and more like our Savior, not like the idols we once followed. Keep us, your children, from idols and guide us in the way of blessing with our eyes fixed on our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.